Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Okay. Hello, food therapy listeners. We are so excited because today we have Becca King and she is a dietitian who works primarily with people who are struggling with ADHD. So Becca, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you actually got into this work? Yeah. So I'm Becca. I am from Charlotte, North Carolina. I got into this work actually about a year ago. Uh, I got laid off from my job at a weight loss clinic and I hated it. So it was kind of like a sign for me. I was like, I always kind of wanted to do my own thing, kind of work with food freedom. So it felt really weird to work at a weight loss clinic, obviously. And then when I lost my job, I was like, I guess I'm just going to start my business. So that's what I did. And I ended up working with my best friend and realized that what she was struggling with was not eating a lot in her meds on her ADHD meds and then binging at night. And then like a light bulb clicked in my head and I was like, oh my gosh, this was me when I was in grad school. So I just posted a poll or like a thing in a ADHD support group and everyone said that they struggled with binge eating. So I just decided to start, like I had was talked about food freedom on my Instagram, but then I just kind of got more specific from there and it's been an awesome year. So I can't complain at all. Amazing. And I feel like your account has grown so much, even in the last six months to 12 months. And it just goes to show, obviously you're putting out incredible content, but also there's really a need for this type of work and people are struggling and it's just not spoken about. Yeah. And and there's just so much out there. I think a lot of it's geared towards kids too. And ADHD doesn't go away when you become an adult. (laughs) So you still have all these issues that you're struggling with. And there's not a lot of resources out there or people who can kind of understand some of the like nuances of ADHD. So what exactly, if you can just explain ADHD to our listeners who aren't really positive on like what exactly it is. Yeah. So it's a lot of people imagine ADHD is like that little hyper boy (laughs) bouncing around in the classroom. And that's just one type of ADHD. And that's usually what presents in boys. So that's why a lot Mm. of women don't get diagnosed until later in life because we learn because it's not appropriate as girls in society's eyes for us to be bouncing around and all of that. So we learn how to mask a lot of our things that we're struggling with. So then to the outside world, it looks like you're fine because you're quiet. You can sit still, you can do the things, but inside your head, there's usually a lot going on. So you tend to have a really hyperactive mind for some people, or you can't, you struggle with paying attention, but it really comes down to executive functioning. So thinking about like planning and like working from like start to finish up a task is usually what people struggle with. So it's like, oh, that's just a lot of like, you can see the big picture, but it's hard to like figure out the appropriate steps to get to the end product basically. 
I would even say like, so I have ADHD. I was diagnosed when I was 12 and my entire life, I'm like, why is it so hard for me to like finish something that I put my mind to do? Even I've been reading Barack Obama's book for four months. It took me like seven months to finish Jessica Simpson's memoir. <laughs> so even like really simple tasks, such as like finishing a book, I think is something people take for granted. And it's not, for so many years, I really thought there was something genuinely wrong with me. And it's like, oh no, I have ADHD. Like this yeah. actually is really common among people who have this. Yeah. And there's a lot of a guilt and shame, even with like the things we should be able to do that feel we like to do the things we enjoy. We're very like reward oriented to get dopamine basically. Cause if you have ADHD, your brain's lower in dopamine levels. So basically try to do things that bring you ways to get dopamine. So more like boring tasks, like doing laundry and cleaning and things like that feel like a huge feat. And it's really hard for people with ADHD to keep up with. So there's a lot of guilt and shame too, with like, I should be able to like keep my house clean or do this or do that. Or even with food, like I should be able to, you know, not waste all my groceries when I buy them. And then I don't, I can't like figure out how to cook a meal from what's in my fridge sort of thing. Going along with like the dopamine piece, can you explain how this relates to food? And so, and even like binge eating, but I would love for our listeners to just get like an understanding of like, you know, the connection between dopamine and our eating habits when we have ADHD. So basically we are, since I, like I said, we're always seeking ways to get dopamine and food is an easily accessible source for us. So carbohydrates specifically and foods that tend to have, you know, like sweets are, ADHDers love sweets. Like chocolate is like the ADHD kryptonite because it's got a little (laughs) bit of caffeine and the sugar. So it's our brains are like, yes, give me more. So basically eating gives us that stimulation. And so especially I think in this past year, we haven't had all of the things we like to do available to help us get stimulation. So I think all more people are turning to food. And there is some research to show that people with ADHD, it takes longer for your brain to process that you've had enough carbohydrates. So you tend to eat past the point of fullness because your brain hasn't really sent the right messages out to say, Hey, you're full. It takes longer to process that. So I thought that was pretty interesting too. And ADHD people tend to eat really fast to begin with. So like getting people to slow down and be mindful, it can be really uncomfortable. Eating without distractions is a big, it's even something I struggle with myself, but like not having any distractions around, it can feel some of my clients, like it's literally painful. It's like, this painful feeling to not have the TV on or have my phone next to me or have like three or four different things going on all at one time. Cause that's just kind of how our brains work. It's, it's just kind of like, there's a lot going on all at once, all the yeah, time. Yeah, And I think this so. is a huge component of like why we started this podcast in general, because I think that so many like diets and even just even programs run by dietitians that are, if they're not individualized down to even your mental health, it's so so hard to have like a personalized way of eating because down to like some people just genuinely need more carbs, whether it's biologically or like their mental health. If they have something like ADHD, like you need more carbs because of what you were just explaining. So it's so interesting how like there's so many components that go into like what you should be eating, quote unquote, should be eating, right? Like whatever is good for you and works for you. Uh, And it's just so cookie cutter in a lot of these different programs. And not everyone is going to be able to be on, you know, a low carb diet or whatever. And it also plays into 
eating disorders, right? Like I actually don't know the science on this and we should probably like do a podcast episode on it, but how certain people are more predisposed to eating disorders, right? So uh, whether that's because of certain mental health struggles they have, or maybe it's like biologically, they just, you know, whatever it is, but it's so interesting because somebody could be on a specific diet and be able to carry it out fine. And somebody else could be like, this is way too restrictive and it turns into an eating disorder. So it's so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. So like there's Ned Hollowell is an amazing ADHD psychiatrist or psychologist. And he says that ADHDers are consistently inconsistent. It was kind of like a phrase that I love to use from him. And he, and so I always tell people, I'm like, diets require consistency. And like you as an ADHD person, like dieting is probably not going to work for you because it's, and it tends to be that, you know, on like that pendulum of like super restrictive to like no rules at all. And I'm not listening to my body and I'm binging and I don't feel great sort of thing. So it's like, I'm like intuitive eating is like that nice little middle ground of like learning how to listen to your body. Cause as ADHD people were extremely externally stimulated. So we tend to not pick up on like body cues and things. So like when we, they say like in the book intuitive eating, when they're like, you know, when you have the cue to go to the bathroom, you go to the bathroom. And I always laugh because I said that in on a call once and someone was like, no, actually. And I normally would say like teachers and nurses are like the exception because they right. like can't. And they're like, actually, no. And then I started to think about it. And it's actually a sign in young girls of ADHD is like holding, like not acknowledging that you have to go to the bathroom until you're like running to the bathroom basically. And a lot of my clients are like, yeah, I do the same thing like all the time. So we just tend to not pick up on our body cues and hunger also tends to be that way. So we tend to wait till we get to that like primal hunger to eat. And then there's no way to like eat in a mindful way. So either, even if you're not on meds, just like getting hyper-focused and I call it like the, let me do one more thing before I go eat. And then four hours go by and then you're like, holy cow, I need to eat right now. And at that point, it's hard to go in the kitchen or go figure out something to eat that's going to make you feel good. So you tend to pick whatever's quick and easy and convenient and might not be something that's going to make you feel great when you eat it. And question, so going back to the dopamine piece and how does that work with intuitive eating? So if your brain is seeking out, you know, this high amount of dopamine and you also want to listen to your body, so you want to listen to that, but you also want to feel good. How do you kind of blend those two together? If that makes sense. Yeah. I helped make, there's this really cool, an ADHD coach made this thing called a dopamenu. So I have kind of like used that with my clients to help them find other ways to get stimulation. So when they realize like, hey, I'm not physically hungry and there's other things I can do other than go eat something. So kind of figuring out like, okay, kind of like emotional eating where it's like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, use the other tools in my toolkit to go cope with my emotions. And sometimes, you know, maybe that doesn't work. So you go back and have, you know, go eat something that's going to make you maybe, you know, make you feel good in that moment. It's kind of the same thing of like, Let's figure out if there's other things you can do. Like, especially it's like, oh yeah, I need to like eat chips while I'm, you know, doing my work on my computer. And I'm like, that's, we're being distracted and that's pretty mindless eating. So trying to find like other things we can do while we're, you know, working or whatever, whether it's like a fidget toy or something like that. So that way people can be, realize that that's what they need. I had, there's, they even make chew necklaces now um, as like, they look like little kid toys, but I have some clients that love them. It's it's just a way. Cause like a lot of times it's like, I just need something to do with my hand or my mouth, which sounds funny, but like, 
something to do. And so those tend to be things that can like help. But a dopamine menu, if there's anyone listening, you can, yeah, it's cool. So like the appetizers are like all the quick, easy things you can do for dopamine that don't require a lot of effort. And then your sides are things you can do like while you're doing another activity. So like a fidget toy or something like that. And then your mains are things that like require a little bit more effort to do. So like maybe like going for a walk or something like that. And then your desserts are kind of like special things. So like for me, like going to a concert, something you don't do all the time, but like it like brings you stimulation. So I think that's genius. I love that. Yeah. And so in that way, food can still be a piece of that. It's just not like the only thing because there's so many other things you can do when you start to realize like, oh yeah, I am just kind of using food, almost like using food to cope with our emotions. It's kind of the same, kind of put those eating for stimulation, like in a similar place. I think I actually just looked it up too. So we can kind of chat through these, but just for our listeners, like an example of an appetizer is go on Pinterest and get inspired for 10 minutes. Uh, Desserts. How about a TikTok compilation? And it's funny because I've actually never been diagnosed per se with ADHD, but I have so many of the traits. And just on my own intuitive eating journey, like I've been able to recognize a lot of times where I'm like reaching for chocolate or like want it, which is obviously totally fine. But after dinner, when I actually evaluate it, I'm like, well, I think I'd be just as happy just like sitting on the couch and like scrolling. TikTok for a little bit because honestly, I'm obsessed with TikTok and it just brings me joy. And it a lot of times will release that dopamine. And then I don't, I'm not even thinking about the chocolate anymore. So I think that's a huge piece is just being able to recognize, like, okay, what am I actually needing right now? Like, because if it's just like dopamine or rest or something like that, it can come out in ways of like craving certain foods. Yeah. And it actually, I think the identification piece is the biggest part. So like my entire childhood, I was always the person to seek out food. And it wasn't until I got older where I actually developed a toolkit where now I'm like, am I actually hungry or do I want to just go for a walk? And that would also help me. Or do I need to just do a 10 minute break? So I think being able to actually identify what your body needs and what you need. And again, like, as you said, use your other additional tools as you would with emotional eating is such great advice. And it really does help. So to kind of sum up this piece of the conversation, like overall, what are the main things that you see ADHD affecting in terms of like food and relationship with food? A lot of it's planning and like being able to cook meals. A lot of my clients will be like, I just get so overwhelmed at like going to the grocery store is just so too stimulating. So then I come home and I'm overwhelmed or there's certain parts of cooking that I don't like or don't enjoy. So I just don't want to cook at all. So I'd rather just, you know, order Postmates or whatever it is. And then, and it tends to just kind of, and they're not eating in a way that makes them feel good a lot of times. So, and usually it's meds are a huge piece of it too. So I'm yeah. sure we'll dive into that in a second. <laughs> so it can affect planning. It can affect uh, that dopamine piece can affect like cravings and things, right? And then what? Yeah. So you, most people with ADHD tend to like carbs and tend to like sweets. And so then it tends to be like, let's restrict those things or their parents. For instance, if you were a kid with ADHD, a lot of parents will restrict kids sugar because the like, oh, sugar and ADHD. And then they grow up and never learn how to have a good relationship with those foods. So then they grow up just always feeling out of control around them. So I always, if I get the chance and have parents reach out to me, I'm always like, do not do the restricting sugar Yeah, and I think we've talked about before even just like, there's not even that much research behind sugar affecting ADHD, right? Yeah, it's more so... 
yeah, a lot of the studies aren't that great. Like they've done studies and the parents are aware of whether their kids are not having sugar or are having sugar. So there's a bias there. All the parents are always like, yeah, of course, I know my kids had sugar. So they're bouncing off the wall sort of thing. So there's a lot of uh, the studies aren't very well designed in terms of like showing that it actually makes it worse. I find it's more so just making sure your blood sugar stays stable versus like trying to cut something out. And also if you are cutting out sugar and sweets, and then all of a sudden you find yourself around sugar and sweets, most people would end up overeating the sugar and sweets just because they haven't had the opportunity to eat them. And so I feel like parents might be like, see, like, this is why you can't have sugar around. This is what's going to happen. And it's like, well, no, if you had the sugar around and you, you know, you, you taught them how to balance their blood sugars, obviously if it's age appropriate, then it wouldn't be the same situation. Yeah, I actually had a 12-year-old that I worked with and he struggled with binging and his parents were really restrictive like around like policed his food basically. And he was like, if you would just let me eat the cookies, like I wouldn't go steal, you know, a whole whole sleeve of Oreos. And and, and it was like within the first 10 minutes, it was very, I was like (laughs) so profound that this kid was so aware and his parents didn't believe me. And I was like, no, actually there's like, there's stuff to back up what your kid's saying actually. And sure enough, they started like giving him permission to have Oreos whenever he wanted. And he stopped binging on them because he could have them. And he was, yeah, they're like, he just comes downstairs during school, go get himself a cup of milk and a cup of Oreos <laughs> and go eat them. And he's, yeah. And I was like, yeah. I was like, this is amazing. Cause all this whole time, it was just like, he needed the permission to be able to have it and it not be this like forbidden thing for him. So then it was like, anytime mom and dad aren't around, I'm going to sneak it sort of thing. It's incredible though. It shows you at any age when foods are forbidden, you will seek them out and you will find a way to have them regardless if you're 12 or if you're 59. (laughs) I don't know why I chose those ages. (laughs) So let's dive into the medication piece of things. So how... Like, obviously, we've discovered that ADHD can affect your eating and your relationship with food. So what extra layer does medication add to things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of people who are unmedicated, so I have a lot of women who will get diagnosed later in life, usually like their kids get diagnosed and then they're like, oh, I'm literally like they're spinning image of me. And then their doctor's like, we have it too. And (laughs) they tend to be the ones who struggle with binge eating and because they've been using it as a way to self-medicate. So if you take stimulants, it tends to add add another layer in, in terms of like, you don't eat during the day or you don't have an appetite or it's even harder to pick up on hunger cues. Um, and it's easier to just like stay in your hyper-focus and get all your work done sort of thing. And then at the end of the day, I call it the hunger monster because your meds wear off. And then you're like, holy cow, I need to eat. And I could like eat my whole pantry right now and right. still not feel satisfied. So for a lot of people, some people's doctors will put them on stimulants who have ADHD to help with binge eating. I don't personally love that because it doesn't get to the root of the problem. And usually I find that they're like, yeah, I don't binge during the day anymore, but now I just binge at night. And I'm like, that's not, that's not solving the binge right. eating piece here. We it just pushes move. it back by a few hours. <laughs> Yeah. Like you might not be eating all day long anymore, but you're still binging and you still have, you still feel guilt and shame and you still don't feel physically uncomfortable after you're eating. And that's not ideal. Um, so it just makes it a little bit harder to pick up on hunger cues. I find it usually most people be like, I don't have an appetite at all. And like, I normally it's just that your hunger cues change. And we're so used to associating hunger with our stomach that we don't realize like, Oh, I'm thinking about food all the time, or I have a headache 
or, you know, even though I'm on a stimulant medication, I'm tired or can't think or be, do the things I'm doing. And then they realize, oh my gosh, these are hunger cues. And I just haven't picked up on them. So it's a lot of the stuff we work, I, mean, I work with my clients on is just kind of relearning them, their hunger cues. Cause for most of them, they're like, actually, they'll come to me with like, I don't have hunger cues. I'm like, okay. Okay. We'll see. And then sure enough, they're like, you're right. I do. It just like, it's easier to ignore them on your meds. So it just adds a little bit of a layer there with that and complicates things. Yeah. Or it makes food unappealing too. For some people, Mm. Um, it like literally just like thinking about food. It's like, I don't want it. Um, So that can be challenging too. In many ways, it kind of reminds me when someone feels like an acute type of stress and there's no appetite, like their appetite gets depressed. And so finding meals or snacks that are just tolerable in that moment can be so helpful. But I'm curious, like, what are some other tips that you share with the clients that you work with on how to eat during the day or make sure that they're not getting to the point where the hunger monster is in, you know, full swing, (laughs) 5 or 6 p.m.? Yeah. So... Definitely recommend if you do take a stimulant med to like make sure you eat before or with it. So like breakfast is huge because, and a lot of times people will tell me that if they get breakfast in, it's easier to eat throughout the day for some reason. I don't know what the science is there with it, but for some people it's just easier once they have something in the morning, but if they don't eat at all, they're like, it's really hard to eat throughout the day. And then I usually tell people to like, because people tend to forget to eat who have ADHD, I'm like set timers to check in with yourself. And they're not necessarily like a timer or a reminder to you have to eat, but just check in with yourself and ask. And usually that way it's not as like, I have to eat at this time or else, you know, like I messed up or something. It's just a way to like check in. And usually people feel like, oh yeah, I do need to have a snack or eat something. But I usually tell people like, find what you can tolerate, keep those things on hand so that you know you have stuff and stuff that's quick and easy so that it's not like uh, it doesn't feel unproductive to like go stop and have a snack or lunch because that's something a lot of my clients will tell me is like, but if I leave what I'm doing, I'm going to, you know, get getting back into it so hard. So I'm like, have stuff that is easy that you don't have to go spend a ton of time preparing something. So that way it's accessible and it doesn't feel like a big task or a huge distraction from whatever you're doing. So. Do you have like examples that I, obviously this is so person dependent, but yeah, I would love to know some examples, like whether it's a smoothie or anything else that's kind of like easy to make, easy to have and won't create too much of a stop in the day. Yeah, I get for me personally, I love carrots and hummus. So I get like the little Costco like hummus cups. So that way I can literally grab one and go keep working. I don't have to like do anything else. And that usually satisfies me, like even having like protein bars or like Greek yogurt, stuff like that. Um, even sandwich, sandwiches aren't that hard to make. So like I've, or wraps, I've been really into those personally recently. Cause I'm like, I can just throw things together and eat it. And it doesn't take a ton of time. So finding those things are like protein shakes tend to be stuff that's easy, especially if you don't have an appetite, making like a smoothie or a pro- like drinking your nutrition. Mm-hmm. It can be a more tolerable way on meds to kind of get things, get things in. So that way, if you're eating more consistently, by the time your meds were off, you're not as ravenous. So have you heard of the med? And I feel like this happened to me, but my hydration level, like I could not stay hydrated. So I could have so much water during the day and I still felt like I was dehydrated. Do you ever hear that from Mm -hmm. people? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So some people it's like, oh my God, I need all the water in the world. And then some people are like the worst water drinkers. And they're like, (laughs) I never remember to drink. Like, how do you remember? So yeah, that's definitely 
very common. My doctor always reminds me when I go get my meds refilled, just like, make sure you're drinking enough water. Cause I think I always go in there to hydrate it. So my blood pressure is a little low and she's right. always like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just I haven't had any water because I had to drive here. Right. So. The dietitians. I feel like I honestly <laughs> on a good day, I never get enough water. It's so hard. <laughs> So what are some other tips you have to remind people? Like, do you ever have people set alarms or are there any apps you use to kind of be like, don't forget to eat sticky notes? Again, I think it's so personalized, but I feel like the more ideas we can get out. Yeah. Yeah. Timers, reminders, scheduling it, actually like blocking off time in your day. Cause lunch tends to be the one meal that a lot of people with ADHD skip or miss. So I usually tell people like actually set time, especially if you work from home or whatever, like really make time in your day for lunch. Like, cause a lot of times if you don't make it, then you're just going to keep working. So give yourself that time. And I'm like, it's a moment for you to like have a moment to yourself, like view it as like a little moment of self-care to check in with yourself when you eat. So that sometimes can even be helpful to kind of be like, it's just a little moment for you and yourself. If you have like a coworker or a partner or someone in your house or at your work that can like remind you that like, hey, have you had lunch today? Just like have someone to cue you or keeping snacks and things visible. So like object permanence is something that people with ADHD struggle with. So it tends to be why like food goes bad in, in your fridge because if you don't see it, it just kind of magically disappears right. until it's like <laughs> rotten in the bottom of your fridge. So I'm like have food out or something like that. So at least it cues you to like, go eat or remind you that you need to eat. Yeah. Sticky notes are another one as well that I find helpful. I haven't found any apps yet. I have, there's a water, there is one for drinking water and some people love it. It's like a tree sort of thing. Yeah. Like a a plant. Pl- my friend used that. Yeah. I have some people who love it. And then some people are like, it just makes me depressed because then the plant, the plant always <laughs> the <tree's> dies. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed a difference if any, with people working from home during the pandemic where the eating habits have changed at all. So whether they found themselves eating more, eating less, like, did you find the pandemic or just like work from home life? I think for some, yeah, I think for some people, it made it easier to turn to food as a way to kind of cope with things and just as a way to get dopamine. I think people ate, let's say probably eating more than they're used to. And a lot less, I guess, not having sometimes that structure and routine can be helpful. So not having that, I think can make it complicated too. Um, Yeah, I think people tend to have been eating, I would say more or feel like they're eating more. So So we kind of were talking about the dopamine piece, but then there's also this other piece that you and I have talked about with like the stimulation, right? So needing stimulation for people with ADHD is a big thing for reaching for food as well, right? So what are some things you recommend? And it might be the same thing as like the dopamine menu uh, for people who are really just seeking stimulation, like if they're sitting at their desk and they want to be doing something else. Yeah, I think the dopamine is like a good place to start or making one and keeping it visible. So it's kind of like something you can go look at if you realize like, I want to go do stuff, I want to eat or I notice that I'm like going towards food, even though I'm not hungry and figuring out, you know, what are other things I can do while I'm working that aren't necessarily like eating. And so that way you have other things there. I mean, being okay with like trying things, new things out too. So I think sometimes we just don't, we get in like our routine of like what works. Like a lot of times we get conditioned even to like, you sit down and when we watch Netflix, we're going to have a snack sort of thing, even though we're not hungry. And it's more of like a, like a learned thing. So I think sometimes being okay with trying other things too, to see what works and what doesn't work. 
kind of exploring things with curiosity and like, oh yeah, I did enjoy that or that works or that doesn't work and that's okay, but I tried it. Yeah, I even, again, unsure if I have ADHD or not, Um, but I have these little things (laughs) from Amazon. They're called acupressure rings and they are literally amazing. I have lost every single one of them. I've literally ordered 16 of them uh, because they come in packs or no, I think I've (laughs) literally had 24 of them. They come in packs of 12, Um, (laughs) but I've lost every single one because it's just, it's so innate for me to just like, I'm usually picking my thumbs, but I use those. So I stopped picking my thumbs because I think picking my thumbs while I'm doing something else, like gives me that stimulation. So those are amazing. If you are on Amazon, you can just type in acupressure rings and they come up. I think they're like eight bucks for 12 of them. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, they're the I haven't best. heard of those. Yeah. I have a couple mm-hmm. clients that love those and they even have some like spinning rings too. Like they're like the, they'll have like a flower, but the flower will spin oh, so you can like play with it. Yeah. Super fun. I need to put in another order because my thumbs are not looking too great right now. <laughs> I had to get like, I had to start getting my nails done because I yes. pick at my face and it's not satisfying. There's like repetitive focus. What is it? Body focused, mm-hmm. repetitive behaviors. So picking at your face or your fingers or like moving. My dad does this all the time when he's talking and I'm like, that's totally like some, you, your fidget thing. And it's so funny. Is to that me. something that's related to 80? Oh, for the listeners, you just, yeah, it's just like a stimulation thing of, yeah. like you said, picking your, picking at your fingers. It's just, yeah. Another way, form of stimulation. So for us. My dad shakes his leg consistently yeah. at the dinner table. So like yeah. the entire table is like shaking. You like feel the vibration. <laughs> It's interesting too because even like the smallest things, like it's just crazy to me. All of the things that I've been in therapy for many years of my life, mostly for anxiety, but I and I don't think this is ADHD related, but I'm such a sensor like sensory things are very can be very overwhelming to me. So if I'm in somewhere that's really loud, like that can trigger panic attacks. If I if something's too bright, which I've learned literally within the past three months that it's called being a highly sensitive person. And like, I would tell my therapist these things and I'm like, how do you not diagnose that? Or like explain how, where that's coming from. And same thing with like picking my fingers. Like I just, as a practitioner now, I can't understand like not wanting to dig deeper into someone's situation of like why something's happening. And I'm like, it's just mind blowing to me. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, I, I actually was looking at report cards from (laughs) seventh grade. I, when I was doing my move, I was looking at report cards and every single report card description for my teacher basically said I had ADHD without saying Tell me you have ADHD. ADHD it was like, you, you know, if only, exactly. It was like, if only you focused as much on like your schoolwork as you did socializing, like your back is always turned the other direction. Like all these things that I obviously couldn't help. And it wasn't until I was diagnosed, put on medication where all of a sudden my, my grades literally went from D's to A's in a matter of like weeks. Wow. But it, I agree with you, Lauren, like it's crazy how certain practitioners just don't dig a bit deeper right. and, and they're not like curious by what some yeah. of the symptoms are. And unfortunately, I mean, I hate to say this, but I feel like a lot of it has to do with just like insurance based. They don't have time to care enough, which sucks. Yeah. But, you know, like for me, yeah. I'm like, okay, I have you yeah. know, 30 minutes after this client or an hour. Like I want to learn more about like why she's like consistently craving X, Y, Z or whatnot right. after we've introduced it for a while and she still feels out of control or what, whatever it is. But it's just, it's unfortunate in terms of insurance and everything. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. I feel like that's just healthcare in general. It's truth. So, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think a lot of doctors mm-hmm. honestly have even gone like the concierge route just to take on a smaller patient load. But of right. course, like that comes at a cost. And so there's so much like privilege right. that's associated too to get like exactly. really good healthcare. Yeah. A topic for another time. But. <laughs> yeah. And obviously everything I'm saying is very privilege based. Uh, but yeah, I was seeing a, all of my therapists. Actually, you know what? My best therapist was one that I, that did not take insurance. And that's just, it's just crazy. I would say like most of my friends who see therapists, like yeah. none of them take insurance. I yeah. would say like there's either like a large copay or they just don't accept insurance yeah. altogether. And yeah, it's unfortunate because mm-hmm. there are people who really need help. Yeah. And I'm thankful. At least I've have a couple of friends who've done like, um, have found therapists through BetterHelp and have really enjoyed kind of doing like the virtual route sort of thing. Mm. Um, so something to consider for listeners if they're looking for something, it is definitely, I don't think they take insurance, but it's a little bit more affordable, affordable. than, yeah. I know. Cause some therapists yeah. can be really, really better expensive. Help come sponsor us. Um, better help. Yeah. <laughs> There's also another, I'm blinking on the name, but there is another company yeah. that Talk does virtual space. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But what's so incredible about all of this is that mental health yes. issues are becoming more mainstream yeah. and people are realizing that, you know, it's okay to seek out help. It doesn't mean that you are someone who's weak and someone who, you know, it's okay to struggle, especially during the pandemic. Like it's great that these companies are able to meet the demand. Yeah. Clearly high. Yeah. Even from a nutrition perspective, I think being able to do things virtually is so nice now. It's amazing. Yeah. Like I don't have any, I don't have any clients that live where I live. So it's so cool to me (laughs) that like everyone lives somewhere else. So yeah. And you get the help that you need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can find find someone that, you know, fits what you're looking for. So. 100%. I completely agree. Yeah. No. So I was just going to ask, like, how do you best integrate this idea of like food freedom and intuitive eating with your clients? Like we touched upon intuitive eating, you know, earlier in the episode, but I'm curious how like do you go through the different principles with them? Like, how do you sort of take some of the concepts and apply it to the work that you do? Yeah. So I basically go through all of the principles in my small group coaching program with them. So it's kind of like taking a nice deep dive and breaking it down. A lot of my clients aren't going to read the book. So they're like, and I actually get more out of it when I'm, you know, talking with people and getting to share a lot of it's just, you know, being able to share experiences and have people who can relate to you of like, oh my gosh, you forget to eat too. Like things that other people might not get or understand and being able to like work through those things and offer, you know, solutions or people that have found things that work for them. So I think that part and just kind of stripping away, like being able to learn to trust themselves again, because I think a lot of times we just don't trust ourselves to be able to listen to our bodies. So once they can start doing that, they're like, oh my gosh, yeah. Because I remember when I first heard of intuitive eating, I was like, this is so woo-woo. Like you can listen to your body (laughs) what? I was like, no, that's never going to work. Like all these other things I've been trying to do to stop binging at night should be what's going to work. And sure enough, I like just started to start like stripping away some of my food rules and like expanding things. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I was like, this is actually like way better. And there's a lot of research to show that mindfulness practices are really helpful for people with ADHD. So to me, intuitive eating, you know, is... Uh, just a deeper, uh, yeah, incorporates that, but digs a lot deeper. So I think to me that it's more, it's more beneficial. There are some people who are like, yeah, mindful eating for ADHD. I'm like, no, this intuitive eating digs a little bit deeper. I think right. and that too helps with like 
that eating for stimulation, I like I said earlier, it kind of goes with coping with your emotions. Yeah. So kind of having both those kind of together sort of thing. Also, I think like one of the biggest differences too is that at least like what we learned in like the intuitive eating certification process was that mindful eating is still like a little entrenched in the diet culture piece. Yeah. Oftentimes people will use mindful eating as a way to get weight loss results. And so with intuitive eating, you are really rejecting this idea that diets work, right? You're rejecting diet culture and the diet mentality. But I think definitely incorporating some mindful practices would completely help this population. And I also love the fact that you called intuitive eating woo-woo because that is how I described it for so many Me years too. before we really learned <laughs> I was like, I don't get it. This is like very like woo-woo and out there. And like, yeah. it's not true or it wouldn't work for me. That's yep. I was, that was like, like my mentality. Absolutely no way. This is this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh man, Literally, I can't here we are. <laughs> Yeah. No, but that's incredible. And I also think it's so nice that you have a coaching program where people can really relate to one another because I think especially with ADHD, it can be really isolating if you're like the only person in your friend group or family who has ADHD. And as you said earlier, like there is a lot of shame that's attached to it. There's a lot of this, like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I do these things? And when you're with other people who actually have it, you're like, I feel so seen and so heard. And even for people listening who aren't necessarily in group coaching yet, honestly, following Instagram accounts and TikToks, especially Becca's, but you know, all of a sudden I'm like, holy crap. Like I've never felt so seen in my life. Like seeing these accounts, like I think they're hysterical. Yeah. And they like, I think sometimes it's one of the think because there's so much shame and guilt with it, like being able to laugh at like the fact that your brain just works differently and that right. like that's okay. And that like your brain just likes to do things it actually enjoys doing. So a lot of the boring mundane tasks that people mm-hmm. have no problem getting done, your brain's like, I just don't want to do like, right. I don't like that. It doesn't bring me any joy or pleasure or anything. So like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And it's not even that it doesn't bring joy because it doesn't, but it's actually like challenging to do those things. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's almost like you're trying to go over a hurdle every single time you want to get something done. And I so relate to the content that you put out because I think you're like, here's a box that I received like months ago that I finally opened. And I had a pan in a box that I did not open for months. (laughs) Like literally months at a time. And so I was laughing and I feel like I'm constantly DMing you, Becca. And I'm like, I feel <laughs> sweet. I'm like, that I so relate That is definitely not something that I can relate to. Literally every time I get a notification for a package from my building, I'm like sprinting downstairs and like opening it on my way up to the, to my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend's mom had given me, she'd moved. So she gave me a bunch of like plates and silver. So like I knew what was in there. It was right. just like, oh gosh, I have to find room in my studio to put this stuff away. Right. Which is like and a whole that's other just, thing. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> that's going to require like taking things out. I don't want to do that. And then finally I was like, I need to get rid of these boxes. They're, they just need to go. Yes. Finally it got done. And then it felt, I was like, yay, I finally did it. And instead of being like, Oh, it took you that long. I was like, that's just like, I had a coffee mug that sat outside for literally like (laughs) nine months. And I finally brought it inside to put it in the dishwasher. And I was like, ah, this felt nice. Now it looks, it's a little bit clearer. And it took probably a total of 20 seconds, but it's, yeah. 
I will say like probably one of the best things that I did for myself was find myself a partner who is <laughs> the opposite of ADHD, like very type <laughs> A perfectionist tendencies, but it truly helps me because then also when you have someone who's willing to do some of the mundane tasks that are really challenging, you can kind of divide up the work. So whether it's like with a roommate or a friend or a significant other, it actually really does help. Yeah. I actually had some clients who do struggle with like the whole meal planning and, or just, you know, figuring out, you know, to feed her family. She was dealing with a lot of guilt. Cause she was like, it was just so overwhelming to cook and to go to the grocery store and everything. And so she ended up talking to her partner about it. And he ended up being like, Oh, I'll take that task on. And Amazing. he went and got a big calendar uh-huh. and put it in the kitchen and like all the meals on it, does all the grocery shopping. And she's like, my life, it just took this huge weight off of me. Yeah. Now I don't feel guilty if I like haven't cooked a meal for Completely. my family and just kind of being able to figure out those things that you don't like doing, even if it's like, Oh, I don't like going to the grocery store. So like, I'm going to have, I get my groceries delivered now. Cause it's not overwhelming. It just takes one less step out and saves me time or figuring out like, Ooh, a meal kit service is really great for me because it just, everything's in one thing. I don't forget ingredients. I'm just kind of figuring out what works for you. Even some of that stuff in the kitchen too, is can be really helpful or being okay with like, if I buy, like for me, I buy pre-cut fruit because Huge. if I don't, it just will rot on my counter. Yes. So it's like just accepting some of those things of like, okay, if I know I'm going to waste food because it's not going to get cut or whatever, and it's just going to go bad, like being okay with like buying some of those convenience food <laughs> items to just make your life easier. Like you don't have to cook rice from scratch every time. Like use a 90 second bag (laughs) of rice. It's okay. Like it's not going to be the end of the world. (laughs) I seriously, I I literally made a 90 second bag of rice yesterday. And I'm like, I don't know why I would cook rice for 30 to 40 minutes. Like it really does make life so much easier. And I'm curious, like, okay, for people who, you know, maybe doesn't have a roommate or a partner to split up the work, like what are some helpful tips when it does come to food prep and cooking? like other tips that you have when they just really don't want to do it. And like the idea of doing it is so, you know, burdensome. I found one thing that's been helpful for me and if it's safe for you to do it, obviously with the pandemic is for me, it's motivating to cook with other people. So like I'll have my best Mm. friend over for dinner and we'll just go back like because we both live alone. So we'll switch off with each other and just like cook a meal. So it it takes one meal off of like that I have to cook for the week, knowing that like, oh, I'm going to go over to her house and we'll have tacos one night or something like that. So that can help take off some of the pressure. But yeah, for me, I do a lot of the things of like buying things that are pre-cut just to take steps, just figuring out, like taking out as many steps of the cooking process or using like recipes that don't have a million ingredients or don't take too long to make. So that way it's just a little bit easier for me. So yeah, that's why for me that and ordering groceries has been a game changer for me. Yes. And how, what about like the meal planning piece? Cause I think that's something that people just struggle with whether you have ADHD or not. And when you bring family members into it, it's even more complicated. So I'm curious, like how you kind of go about with like your meal plans, like how obviously we're not talking like rigid meal plans, more of just like flexible meal plans where you can have ingredients on hand to make food. Yeah. So I keep things like I usually pick one or two like proteins that I'll Mm -hmm. have and cook enough for that to have throughout the week for my dinners. And I usually have like something more lunch, like lunch meat or something like that for lunch. 
or I use my leftovers. So kind of just having, not get, making yourself like have to cook a different meal, like every single night. I think we tend right. to get in that mode sometimes. And that can just be, especially someone who lives alone, like you don't need to, that's a lot of ingredients. I tried to do that once at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, I'm going to buy everything for like two weeks. And then I literally got all the groceries and decided I didn't want like anything that I had right. planned and had wasted a lot of it. So for me, I've realized that like ordering groceries more frequently is easier for mm. me because then I can decide what I want or go to the store that day sort of thing. That's right. what my parents do of like my dad, they'll go get like basically go get their essentials or whatever, their basic stuff that they know, like, you know, rice, just a couple of veggies, stuff like that. And they'll just have their essentials on hand. And then some, my mom or my dad will go to the store and, you know, like, oh, what protein do we want or whatever, right. kind of go on day to day or every couple of days versus like planning for a whole week. Cause I think that part too, for ADHD people tends to be what's overwhelming. So then it's like, oh, that's too much. I don't want to plan right. my meals or like, it's hard to plan your meals out for the week. Cause like, what's going to sound good on one day might not be good. I usually tell people like, you don't have to be like, okay, tacos are on Tuesday, like pick two or three meals. There's this like, something I read that was like for ADHD people is like make note cards of your favorite meals and like keep them on hand with you. So when you go to the store, you can decide what you want and have the ingredients there like on hand, but picking Love like that. two or three meals for the week. And then not necessarily assigning a day to them, just, you know, right. what, when that sounds good, that. you can have it sort of thing. And that's where the flexibility piece comes in too, right? Like it's like yeah. being able to be flexible. And I also will say having a solid freezer is really helpful. So like I yes. always have like a frozen pizza or, you know, tortillas in there or just whatever, like frozen vegetables, frozen rice. You can literally just make things from the freezer yep. it has been like yeah. huge during the pandemic. And it tends to be quick, easy meals a lot of times. So like that for me, I, I tend to do that stuff like that as well. And it makes it nice and easy for me. And I don't, I know a lot of people tend to feel like, Ooh, it's frozen food, but it's like, actually it's just a lot of it's just it's as more. nutritious. It's not bad at all. It's just, yeah, if not more, and it's just that it was frozen. So, and so to me, I'm like, yeah, use your frozen foods. It's a fun, it's an easy way to like, and it doesn't go bad. So like, you don't have to worry about wasting it. And being okay with like getting creative is especially for ADHD people tend to be creative. So like being okay with just being creative in the kitchen and it might not be your best meal ever, but like right. kind of figuring out That's what food. works for you that way. Yeah. And just like kind of making it more enjoyable that way instead of being like, okay, it has to be this specific recipe or whatever, like, you know, okay with being a little, like you said, flexible and creative. And this is not <laughs> for Trader Joe's, but I will say that Trader Joe's has such a good oh frozen gosh. selection. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Especially their frozen rice. It's what I use all the time. Everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I really wanted to go on over the weekend and the line was two blocks long. I was like, I love it here. I definitely don't love it if that much. Trader Joe's had delivery, like my life would just be complete. I know. My friend and I were talking about that. They're like, they yeah. need their own to like, oh, they would I don't need, know. Yeah. I don't think it. they'd be able to keep up with the demand, honestly. That's true. No, they'd have to have like a warehouse. Like it'd have to yeah. be like a, yeah, like a go they would sort of literally thing just like knock every delivered. grocery store out. Like I, the only thing that I can't get at Trader Joe's that I like is yeah. like fresh deli meat, but that's literally it. <laughs> yep. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Everything yeah. else I can get. I was going to say like, I feel like in New York, they actually do have delivery services really? that might go to Trader Joe's. But, and I hate to say this, but it's honestly like a burden to even find the delivery service to then put the order in to then, like, right. I almost rather just Well, it's also like myself. a fun store to be in once you're there because there's always like new fun yes, stuff. Yes, agreed. Yeah. 
This has been... I really like... There's there's a cookbook, I will say. There is a cookbook from... You can get it at Urban Outfitters. It's not related to... It, someone made it from Trader Joe's, but it's very, like, college-friendly because it has meals mm. that you can, like, make that require no cooking or you can cook it in the microwave or things like that. And it is one of my favorite cookbooks, so... Amazing. And it's all, like, Trader Joe's stuff, so it's fun ways to, that. like... Some of it, I'm like, ooh, I never thought about, like... Yeah mixing different things to make like a full meal from Trader Joe's. So if anyone from Trader Joe's is listening, please feel free to <laughs> a gift card, you know, anything really we'll take, we'll take, whatever. <laughs> we'll take anything. Well, this has been such an amazing conversation. I know that our listeners are going to love it. I loved it, but let's end with like a fun question. What's your favorite Trader Joe's product? <laughs> Ooh. Recently, it has been their buffalo chicken dip or like their mm. buffalo. That is one of my favorites. And they have this like lemon basil pasta salad that is really refreshing. It's like and perfect for like spring, Amazing. summertime. Those the Greek yogurt buffalo chicken dip, right? So good. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Yeah, it's cold, but I like yeah. to heat it up and then have it with like chips or whatnot. It's so good. Yeah. Or it's really good oh, in like yeah. a sandwich. Laura, oh what's your gosh, favorite Trader possible? Like if we're talking like ease, <laughs> then definitely the brown rice. If we're talking like flavor, the, what are they called? Like, you know, chip witches, but like the Trader Joe's version of the chip witches are mm. so freaking good. Like the cookies are still soft. They're not like, they don't get frozen somehow. And then also for, for ease, I love their balsamic chicken. That's like already cooked. I am the most particular person with chicken. I get so grossed out if it's like, not up to par and the yeah it passes, <laughs> passes the to test. test it's amazing what about you I would say for ease I love their steam yes I also love those section I Same. actually eat them cold like I don't even heat them up I add yep. them to salads grain bowls mm. and then my favorite like random thing is oh, strawberry mochi yeah. ice cream Ooh. it's amazing like it, yeah. it comes in like these little balls I actually saw who was eating it I think someone actually posted on Instagram and she's like, oops, I ate the entire box. She's like, but it was really good. <laughs> but that's, I would say like those two are my go-to. But yeah, so good, everything yeah. there is just so good. Yeah, and everything bagel seasoning. I literally yes. travel <laughs> with that. So that like I went to, I did a diabetes camp two summers ago and I like brought that with me so I like knew that my breakfast would, would be have good. that like little satisfying <laughs> thing to it. Love that. So yeah. So <laughs> where that. can our listeners find you? I'm on Instagram at ADHD.nutritionist. And I'm on Facebook too, but I'm not super active there. So if you want to interact and engage with me, Instagram is where you can find me. And you do have amazing content. So definitely recommend (laughs) following her on Instagram. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.